What do you learn about the history of a place when you sit down and listen? And I mean really listen. A new history of a central Australian pastoral station starts with hearing the stories of the Anganu people who lived there. The result is a delicate portrait of a country and how a community of people adapted to different ways of being on it. Unmaking Angus Downs, Myth and History on a Central Australian Pastoral Station is a book just out. Its author is Shannon Palmer. Shannon spent four years researching this, a profound act of listening. She spent that time in the desert and part of this work was for her history PhD. She's now based in Canberra and works as a community engagement consultant. Shannon, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for this book. And what what a what a sadness that your two chief informants, the two senior Ananu people, are no longer alive and and can't be enjoying the focus this book puts on them. That is, um, you know, it's definitely been a really bittersweet uh, time when with the book coming out and having both Tuki and Sandra not being here. Um, they would have been incredibly pleased to have been you know, having taking part in a conversation like this, I think, um, and really proud to see that their stories made it to this point, actually made it out in the in the world, in the book. I'm going to ask you to introduce us to Chucky Pumpjack and Sandra Armstrong in just a minute, but start by geolocating us. Where's Angus Downs and, and what does that country look like? How big is that country? Angus Downs is um, about 300k southwest of Alice Springs, so it's halfway between Alice Springs or Mabantwa and Uluru. It's a huge um, stretch of country, a couple of hundred thousand hectares. Beautiful desert, arid Central Australian country. And so it's the southern Northern Territory, Northern South Australia, and goes all the way out to the West Australian border. Is that about, is that about it? Yeah, I mean, Angus Downs itself doesn't go out to the Western Australian border. The relationships that people had that were on Angus Downs went out there. But it is in that sort of southwestern part of um, the Northern Territory. And Angus Downs, the, the station, the pastoral station, was formed by the Little family in the 1920s. And Bill Little was a dogger. There's a picture of him with a bashed up hat on in the book. <laughs> T- tell us what a dogger is. Uh, so in the early 20th century, there was a bounty put out on dingoes because pastoralists out there, there were no fences. So um, they were needing to protect sheep from dingoes. And so white settlers, white men in particular, um, when that bounty was introduced, went out into places like Central Australia and out into the Western Desert to hunt dingoes. Um, and they were paid for the scalps. There was a bounty on their scalps and they were known as as doggers. And to what extent did they lean on the knowledge of the Ananu? Animal knowledge of country um, and dingoes was central to that. Um, so those early doggers, it was critical for them to form really close relationships with animal, and it was really animal that were hunting the the dingoes um, and getting the dingoes for these doggers, and the doggers would generally give them rations in exchange. They would give them flour, sugar, tea in exchange for the dingo skins. And there came a time then when this Bill Little in his in his in his bashed up hat, it's not even an Akubra, it's just some crazy bashed up hat, uh, forms Angus Downs to run sheep. And then he really needs the Anganu people to assist him in that endeavour. 
Yeah, so he had, you know, he sort of, his relationships with Anangul began with that sort of dogging relationship and then he established Angus Downs in the late 20s and it was the Anangul people that he had families that he had befriended way out in the Peterman Ranges in the Western Desert that then came to to live with him. They were the first Anangul families that lived with him on Angus Downs when he established that sheep run. And so typically a history of, of this sort of area, you know, the kind of we are the never-never sort of history, would focus on this kind of pioneering idea. But what you've done is listen to the other uh, stories that are much more ancient stories, but contemporary stories with this station of Anganu and of particularly of Chuki and, and of Sandra. How did you come to do that? So I came across a book that an anthropologist called Frederick Rose had written in the 1960s. Um, He had lived out on Angus Downs for four months in 1962 and wrote a book called The Wind of Change in Central Australia, the Aborigines at Angus Downs. It was a really unusual ethnography for that time. I sort of came across it. There was lots of photographs in it of Anangul who lived on the station, hundreds of photographs, in particular 150 black and white portraits of all the Anangul who were living on the station at the time. It's a really rare book. Um, And so when I first went out to a Mumpa community, which has close ties to Angus Downs with that book, Anangul were very interested in that book, they wanted to see the pictures. I sat down with so many people and they would sort of go through the photos, find themselves or their family members. And when I was, as I was asking questions about Angus Downs, you know, everyone sort of said, you know, if you want to learn more about Angus Downs, you need to speak to Chucky Pumpjack and Sandra Armstrong because they're the two people that have the stories and can speak for that place. And so I did uh, build a relationship with both Chucky and Sandra um, gradually over time. I sort of would travel out from Mabantua to, to Amampa uh, in my land cruiser and we began recording oral histories. And so I spent four years sort of travelling around to different locations on Angus Downs and recording oral histories in language, so in Pindara and on country. And how did you do that, given you're not fluent? So I worked, uh, we worked with an interpreter, Linda Riff, who's a um, Western Desert language specialist and oral historian who lives in Alice Springs um, and works for Ara Ediricha, which is an Anangul archive project. And so Linda, uh, Chuki and I worked together and Linda and I would go out from town, I would have, you know, have a big bunch of food ready to go, we would go and get Chucky and he would sort of say where he wanted to go and if anyone else was going to come and we would go out, set up camp for the day, get the food, the camp oven on the fire and he would start telling stories. And as he was telling stories, Linda would translate on the spot. So Chucky was able to hear her interpretation and he would sort of nod in agreement or correct if he felt he needed to. And then afterwards, Linda would also go and she went and transcribed, translated and transcribed all the oral histories into English. Mm. You note here in the book, you have these, these beautiful photos that Rose has taken in 1962 
of Chucky and of Sandra Armstrong. There she is holding a, a little pup, uh, a young girl, and then you've got the photos that, that uh, have been taken uh, much later in their life of this kindly old face of Chucky and of Sandra. And, and, and you note that uh, Sandra says of Chucky, he, really, he was really ninty, knowledgeable. So what did he tell you about his role on the station, but also about the Chukapa, about the dreaming of what it is to be on country in that place. Well, when I met both Chuki and Sandra, you know, they talked about Angus Downs as as Ngora. They evoked that place as, as country. Ngora is the Pintara word for for country, and they spoke about it in the deepest sense of that word. But, you know, they had walked out um, of the Western Desert with their families in the earliest early 20th century. And so in many ways, you know, in sort of in tracing the history of, of Angus Downs Cattle Station, I mean, you know, Chucky worked on the station. Um, he was one of very few people who did. So that was a big part of his his connection to the place. But really it was about so much more than that. It was about a whole life on the station and how that place had become country over half a century. You know, sort of as time went on, more families walked out of the Western Desert in the 1960s, there was, you know, upwards of sort of 250 people living there. Um, So it really was a story of how that station had become so much more, you know, it's a pastoral station, but pastoralism is only a fraction of the story of that place. Mm. So here he is working as a a shepherd, you describe him, uh, because there were so few fences. And you note that, you know, he, he... was disappointed to learn uh, that on other large sheep stations in the region, this didn't happen. The sheep would just stay in one paddock. But but you're talking about this becoming their country. What did you come to understand about the movement across land and the connection with country that people moved onto Angus Downs and then stayed there and deepened that connection with country? I mean, so in the mobility and, and moving is a, is a fundamental fact of life in the desert. So Chucky and Sandra's families had, had always been moving in that part of the country, being the arid desert. You know, resources are, um, are scarce and sparse. Um, so movement was a fundamental fact of life. People were travelling sort of great distances for for resources, for marriage, for ceremony. Um, And so when these new settlements emerged, you know, it was it was within with the ways in which people were already moving. And, you know, more and more families did sort of come out of the desert to these new settlements and made them made them their own. Sitting down together with family, sharing resources knowledge, ceremony, all of those things just continued um, in these new settlements that emerged. And tell me about um, Sandra. Again, I'm looking at the picture of her as a, as a young girl with the, with the pup tucked under her arm <laughs> in the photo taken in 1962 and then the 2013 uh, photo of uh, the elder, you know, a, a, a big smiling uh, Central Australian um, elder. What and she's was... holding that photo yes. in her hand. She's holding so, the old photo. Yeah, because we I travelled to Sydney. So the the collection, the archival collection from the Frederick Rose book is held at the Mitchell Library in Sydney. So all the photographs that Rose took when he was on the Angus Downs are at the library there. And so I uh, took Sandra and um, her niece, 
took Ian Zandra's niece to Sydney to spend time in that collection, which was really quite incredible. We spent a week there um, and that was, the you know, it was, I think, the only time Anangu had lived on the station had actually sort of engaged with that archive in the library. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience. And the whole week that we were there, you know, she talked story about her time on Angus Downs. There was singing and, you know, so much remembering that was going on. Angus Downs was such a special place for her. She was was always front and centre of her of her being, really, that place. And she is part of this great adapting that the Ananu are doing, the adapting and the thriving, that actually this Frederick Rose, the anthropologist, misunderstands because there's a tourist trade coming through. There's people coming through on their way to Uluru, right? And, and Yeah, the, thousands of them. Thousands of them. Yeah, so the year that Rose was, um, so Rose was there in 62 and he calculated that there was between five and 6,000 tourists that passed through Angus Downs just in that year, the four months, four or five months of the tourist season for that year. Um, and so tourists were started in the late 1950s and sort of carried through into the 1960s. The road to Uluru originally ran right through Angus Downs then bypassed when they built the new road, but the tourist buses would detour off that main road specifically to go to Angus Downs and trade with Anangal there. Um, Anangal were making punu. So punu is the Pinyata word for for wood, but also for the carved wooden objects that Anangal were making. And, and for the listener, these are... They get hot wire and char into the wood. And if if you Google Punu P U N U and Central Australia, you will go. Oh, I know these. I know these carvings. But yeah, but Rose, Rose somehow thought that exchanging these for money was uh, was somehow uh, appalling and 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 tearing at the fabric of culture. But you. But they didn't think it was. No, I mean, I mean, Rose was a, a Marxist, so he was, the, the, he was. It was the money. It was the money yeah, that he had the problem with. Absolutely. I mean, he was very much viewing things through that Marxist materialist lens. So he was sort of seeing the Anangu encounter with commodities and the cash economy, and he'd sort of he drew the conclusion that this was leading to what he called detribalisation and he sort of said that it was happening at a rapid rate on Angus Downs because of the encounter with tourists um, and cash and that sort of cash economy. But listening to Chucky and Sandra, that that particular part of the period of time on the station was such a big part of their of their remembering. But the way that they talked about it, you know, I mean, the creation of Punu, the encounter with tourists, the money they were making from that was just, it just became, it was assimilated into their existing social and cultural practices. So, you know, they were selling Punu to tourists, the money that was coming in from Punu was being redistributed around different family groups. Families were going out onto country to find the wood. There was knowledge being exchanged when they were carving the designs into the punu. And it actually became a really important vehicle for Anangu on Angus Downs to, to maintain and strengthen those cultural practices and knowledge. And so we have tourists, we have pastoralists, we have Anganu who are always there. But the book is called Unmaking Angus Downs. What happened to Angus Downs? It's kind of a complicated question in a way, but I mean, it's gone through sort of many iterations. It's now an Indigenous protected area. Um, but when 
the book ends sort of around 1980 um, and traces when Amangul really sort of started to move away from the station. Um, there's a number of different factors. It was such a sort of complicated period in the in the 1960s and early 1970s. Um, but I think one of the most important factors was that um, the outstation movement and the homelands movement that sort of emerged in the 1960s. So new settlements began to emerge, Fregon and Armature in South Australia, Docker River down um, in Northern Territory but bordering just near Western Australia there. Um, and so when those settlements emerged, a number of Anangul, um began to, to leave Angus Downs because those settlements were, were closer to their ancestral country. And so it started a movement of people that just didn't really sort of stop and then it sort of became Chucky and Zandra and their families really tried um, to maintain a presence on Angus Downs, but with the emergence of new settlements and communities, it it sort of it just became too hard. And so they ended up moving to a Mumpa community in the early 1980s. But what an extraordinary time you had. Four years, what a privilege to share their experiences, to have them uh, entrust you with getting it down on paper in a way that could be fully understood. And the generosity of that is extraordinary, isn't it? It was, um, I, you know, I feel um, incredibly privileged um, and I'm so grateful for that for that opportunity and for the learning that they gifted me. Also, you know, it, it is recorded in in written form and in the book, but we also recorded all of those oral histories in, in language which went into art literature in real time. So they're there for their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, which was a really big part of why they, they yeah. chose to work with me as well. You know, they, they knew that I was going to write a book that white fellows would read and that was really important to them, but also important that there was a legacy that was left for the future generations of their family in terms of those stories and knowledge, yeah, which is just as important to them. Thank you for the work and, and thank you for taking the time to talk to us about it tonight. Thank you. Shannon Palmer, author of Unmaking Angus Downs, Myth and History on a Central Australian Pastoral Station, and it's published by MUP. G'day, potties. If you like to learn from history's mistakes as much as we do here at Hadley Nell, or you want the whole backstory on the big issues in the news, check out Rear Vision on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.